Hello, welcome to the St. Paul's Podcast, where you'll find talks from our Sunday services. For more information, feel free to check out our website, stpauls.co.uk. Thank you. Today's reading is found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, and can be found in the Church Bibles at, on page 1173 or the large print Bibles on 1849, 1849. <clears throat> and as we learnt yesterday, the um, title, which is man-made and not God-inspired, is Made Alive in Christ. So starting chapter 2, verse 1. As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, We were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Angela. And our preacher today is Peter Howard. Let's give him a round of applause. We, we're clapping because you've survived line managing uh, David Senior, one of our uh, ministers. Yes, you get to be his boss. Um, so that is my claim to fame. <laughs> that is your claim to fame. So um, Peter is the director of mission in in our diocese. But before that, he was vicar of Christ Church Woking, which is a, a nice, lively church in Woking. And it's great to have you. So um, shall we pray, Peter? Father. Thanks so much for bringing Peter to us. Thanks so much for his love for your word and his love for Ephesians. And we just pray that you would fill us with your presence. That you would just speak to us through him and remind us of your amazing grace. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you very much for the warm welcome. And I, um, I love the sign of grace, which is the clapping before I have anything to say. It makes me feel good. Uh, and um, grace is one of those things that uh, is just so refreshing to visit time and time again, isn't it? And uh, my prayer, my prayer is uh, that 
This morning will be a moment of revelation for each and every one of us, uh, that we will catch a new, fresh glimpse of God's grace and uh, how it um, will change our lives. And the more we dig into it, uh, the more it will change us, uh, because it is the most remarkable thing. Just in terms of David Senior, he is a great gift to our team, I'd just like to say. Um, And um, the energy, the vigor, uh, the vision, uh, he is a real gift to diocese. So thank you for sort of releasing him uh, and uh, encouraging him, uh, commissioning him, um, whatever you've done to him. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Okay, I'd love you to pick up your Bibles because I'll be digging into this Ephesians passage. Um, I I was telling my wife uh, this morning um, that I was um, preaching here this today, and uh, she said, oh, hasn't Jackie Pullinger been there the last couple of days? What do you think you're going to say after, <laughs> after Jackie? That's a hard act to follow, isn't it? Uh, I felt like being really, really, really smug and super spiritual, but I refrained. But what I wanted to say is, yes, but it's the same spirit working through us, and it's the same word, it's the same truth. And um, uh, let's dig into... God's truth by his power. I, um, I think Ephesians is just one of the best books, best letters, best books of the Bible, if I may say that. They're all, of course, equally uh, important and, and the like. Um, but for various reasons, I think it's, it's got a real place and power for the life of the church and for individual Christians. Uh, the first is that it talks about very clearly about the fifth dimension of reality. Uh, if you go back to your O-level or GCSE physics, that's as far as back as I go anyway, uh, there are three dimensions, aren't there? There's up, down, and that way. There's the fourth dimension, which is time. There is a fifth dimension, which is the heavenly realms that we cannot access with our five senses. You know, we can't see it, we can't hear it, we can't touch it, we can't smell it, and the like. But it's vitally connected to our lives and to the life of the church. Vitally. So what goes on in the heavenly realms affects us, and what we do in, this, in the fourth, four dimensions affects the heavenly realms. It's an amazing book for the vision of the church. So you might like to... Uh, uh, first... Uh, the verse in uh, chapter 1, verse 10, in this amazing verse, uh, so if you might just like to look at that, it says, uh, his plan is to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Well, that, that is an amazing vision. You then go over to uh, chapter 3, verse 10, and this verse is, I think, the, one of the most uh, remarkable verses because it tells you a little bit about God's vision for the church, the place of the church in God's eternal purposes in the whole of the cosmos. And that is this. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What that is saying is that the church is to be the proof 
uh, the visible sign, the trophy to, well, it's often referred to that the rulers and the authorities is probably his enemies, the forces of evil. It is, it is proof of his wisdom. Something that he has planned since the beginning of time. And we get an insight into a lot of God's planning in the first chapters, three chapters of Ephesians. And that this was all planned through Jesus Christ. And so we come to grace. Because the church is to be the visible community of grace. And as such, it will be a trophy for the purposes and the wisdom of God. It's to be the manifestation. It is to be the proof of his wisdom when we live as the community of grace. And the thing about grace is that it's totally counterintuitive. And therefore needs revelation. It's counterintuitive because most of the time we feel we need to prove ourselves in life. It's counterintuitive because when someone wrongs us, we feel we want to take revenge. It is counterintuitive because we feel we can't be forgiven when we've done something wrong. That in some way we need to pay it off. And even then, it doesn't seem to work because you can't roll back time. It's counterintuitive because we project these attitudes so easily onto God and our relationship with him. So let's dig into this wonderful passage. It is a great passage on grace. It's mentioned three times at least. Verse 5, by grace you have been saved. Verse 7, the incomparable riches of his grace. Verse 8, it is by grace you have been saved. And then he goes on, Paul goes on, as if you haven't quite got the message. He says it in uh, two different ways. He says this is a gift. He says it, it is the gift of God. And then he says the, rever- the opposite side, if you like. And he says, um, i.e., it's not by works. You can't achieve this. You can't earn it. You can't, you don't deserve it. It's a gift. You haven't worked for it. You haven't paid for it. You haven't achieved it. It is a free gift. But, uh, you know, we have gifts all the time. We just had Christmas. We've had lots of gifts. People give us things. What, what's, what's, what marks this gift out from every other gift? Why? Most gifts people give us don't change our lives. Maybe may make us a bit fatter when it's chocolate. But most gifts don't change our lives. What is it about this gift of grace that changes our lives? There are two things. Two things that makes God's grace life-changing. The first one is that it's indispensable. Uh, 
I, uh, before I was uh, a clergy person, I was a doctor. Uh, and one of my, um, as a junior doctor, one of my jobs was to diagnose death. I had to go around and sign the death certificates. And um, it's a strange skill, isn't it, on one level, for doctors to diagnose death. But there is a big difference, <laughs> you'll be glad to hear, between a sick person and a dead person. Yes, they had trained me well. <laughs> Someone who is sick has something to contribute. In fact, medicine, the work of medicine, really only piggybacks onto the self-healing powers of the body if the person can't do anything. But usually the person can do something to help themselves when they're sick. And of course, there are degrees of sickness. A dead person, they have nothing. They can't contribute anything. They are totally helpless. And we're not just talking about someone whose heart has stopped and can therefore be resuscitated. We are talking about someone who is totally dead. Because that is the description that Jesus gives us, that God gives us in this letter to the church in Ephesus. Chapter 2, verse 1. He couldn't say it more starkly. As for you, you were dead. You were dead in your transgressions. You weren't just sick. You, ju you weren't just ill. You were dead. And therefore, helpless. There's nothing you can do to help yourself when you are dead. If we were simply sick in our sins, you might be able to say, I'm a pretty good person. That would be valid. But God would turn from a savior into a therapist. And some would need him more than others. And he wouldn't be indispensable. Now, that doesn't mean we're all as bad as each other. Uh, it doesn't mean that we are as bad as we could be. God gives us all, um, gives all sorts of people, doesn't he? He makes all sorts of people, regardless of what people believe about him. Everybody has gifts of wisdom, of kindness, the ability to do good things. It's not that, it's not that, we're, that we're talking about. There are moral people. There are immoral people. There are nice people. There are nasty people. But everybody is spiritually dead. If you want to elaborate on the medical metaphor, dead is dead, but some might have a small part of their brain that has died so that the rest of them is dead. Another person might have their whole torso crushed, but they're both dead. 
It is, of course, humbling. It is deeply uncomfortable to know that we have nothing to give. Which is why Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Because it is describing those who know they have nothing to offer. They are spiritually bankrupt. They've got nothing in the bank to give, spiritually. Have nothing to bring to God. They are absolutely penniless from the spiritual bank. When you know you are saved by grace, that you are as poor as everybody else, you don't look down at a visibly poor person. You don't look down at a moral failure. You don't treat them with superiority. And if you do, then you probably quite haven't got the message that you have been dead as they were, are. We bring nothing to the spiritual table. Second thing, uh, the second difference about God's grace, the gift of grace, is the costliness of the grace. So verses 1 to 3, we're told about sin and condemnation. The next verses tell us three things about what God has done for us to raise us from our dead state. First of all, he says he makes us alive with Christ. Secondly, he tells us he raises us with Christ. And thirdly, he tells us that he seats us with him in the heavenly realms. Wow! And the distinctive uh, sort of word in all three of those statements is the, the word with. And it's, they're all in the past tense as well. It's amazing. The past tense is amazing. It's not once you've lived a good life or try to live well and then you, depending on how you live, how that goes, uh, you'll be saved or you will be united with Christ. No. You have been. You are with Christ, raised, alive, seated with him, even now. It happened when you believed. You became united with Christ. And as such, you are loved and as accepted as Jesus Christ himself. As he sits there in glory beside the throne of his Father, so you are too. And that word with is so very, very important. It explains the mechanism of our salvation, if you like. We are so united with Christ that what he has, his righteousness, his inheritance, his glory, his immediate access to the Father becomes ours. Conversely, Christ is so united with us that he gets our sin, our isolation, our our alienation, our guilt, our condemnation, our hell. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried on the cross. That was because of our, our sin. He was uniting with us. 
The theologians talk about it as the great exchange. He took our sin, we got his righteousness. We got the whole lot. And he got all of ours. And so Paul in in 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus paid the price with his death. And so when you understand how big the bill was, how costly it was to cancel, to write off the, 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 the bankruptcy, then you can say, my goodness, that's amazing. And your heart is filled with gratitude and joy. Because whilst it was free to us, it was at immense cost. You know, uh, something is only as valuable as what someone is willing to pay for it. £50 note is only a piece of paper, but we ascribe £50 to a piece of paper. On one level, as a, as a bag of, or as a body of chemicals, you're not worth an awful lot, I have to tell you. If someone sold you down at the market, you, they wouldn't get an awful lot. Unless you had a few gold teeth, maybe. But you are priceless. You are absolutely priceless because the value that God put on your life was the life of his son. You are so priceless. And that is the, that's the, the uh, value of the gift that he's given you. So you see, this isn't any old gift. This isn't a box of chocolates, which you could do without, actually. Probably better to do without the box of chocolates. This is the only gift that can raise you from the dead. This is the only gift that is actually priceless. So what's the... What's the um, um, uh, um, I, I, just to backtrack a bit, if you are saying, oh, I'm, not re- I'm really not good enough for this. My life has been too bad. I've done too many bad things. I'd like to gently suggest that that's pride. Inverted pride, if you like. It's saying that you're different from others. That what he's paid, what he's done for you isn't good enough. And the best thing is to simply be amazed, grateful, and to receive the gift of grace. What difference, what what result uh, comes from this? Well, first of all, you've got nothing to boast about. You've got nothing to boast about. So don't try. But you have everything to be grateful for. You know, on one level, when you go home today, you you can say, look how much I have. And then you can say, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. But God has given me so much. It's all a gift. 
there are a few things I think you can um, apply this to. First of all, you can stop trying to prove yourself. You can stop trying to prove yourself. It's the end, if you really understand this, it's the end of always being anxious that you're not meeting the mark. You can calm down. You can relax. You can't prove yourself. Secondly, it means that you can stop comparing yourself. You don't need to look up at others, so don't. You don't need to look down at others, so don't. You don't need to look over your shoulder at others, so don't. Because we're all at the same level. We're all at rock bottom. There's no point in looking at anybody else. And if you look up at them, then you don't understand grace. We're all, on the, we're all at rock bottom. We're all down there. There's no point in looking at anybody else, because we're all in, down there anyway. The person to look to is Jesus, who is our brother. Thirdly, you can receive gift, uh, forgiveness and freedom. It's immensely liberating to know that God's grace is free forgiveness, that there's nothing you can do except just to receive it. I, uh, I love, I don't know whether any of you have read um, Ragamuffin Gospel. I'd recommend it to all of you. By a guy called Brennan Manning. Fabulous book on grace. And uh, he writes this. Huffing and puffing to impress God, our scrambling for brownie points, our thrashing about trying to fix ourselves while hiding our pettiness and wallowing in guilt, our nauseating to God and our flat denial of the gospel of grace. This approach to the Christian life is as absurd as the enthusiastic young man who just received his plumber's license and was taken to see the Niagara Falls. He stared at it for a minute, and then he said, I think I can fix this. <laughs> if, um, if St. Paul's was a, a community a church that really understood grace, what would it look like? Let me give you some ideas, but it's something that I'd really encourage you to go away and ask uh, of your home group, your spouse, your friends, the vicar, PCC. If St. Paul's was a community of grace, what would it really, what should it look like? Well, some ideas uh, off the top, well, not quite off the top of my head, almost. No one is offendable. Offendability really comes from pride. So um, get over yourselves. Don't be offendable. Um, you would find, probably, possibly, uh, you'd find some interesting people in, on the coffee team. You'd find some CEOs. You'd find some doctors. You would find some business people. you find what you normally think we might think of high-powered people. You'd find them on the welcome team. You'd find them on the coffee rotor because actually their ego wouldn't be any bigger than anybody else's. I think you'd find some interesting people at the door. I, I was thinking about this. If I... If I um, if I really wanted to be a welcoming church, I'd have 
I would have someone really scruffy on the door. And someone really smart. I'd have a really smart-looking person on the door and someone looking really scruffy. When I was vicar at Christchurch, on one or two occasions, someone stole um, a handbag from the front. Now, if that happened in in a community of grace, I think after the first sort of irritation of, ah, darn it, I'm going to have to stop all those cards, with a smile on my face, I'd think, ah, fantastic. We've got someone here who can experience grace, who can hear all about grace. That's just what we're here for. Generosity would be tangible. A community of grace would be where generosity is practiced. And I'd like to suggest that that would be particularly towards the church, because the church is the trophy. It is the, it is the, it's what Jesus is passionate about. He, you know, the church is his bride. Anybody who's, who marries someone is passionate about the person they marry. People could be themselves. And um, I'm so glad that uh, Jackie was talking about serving the poor. I think if, if someone really understood grace, they'd also want to learn from the poor. When I've been um, mixing with the poor, I have thought, my goodness, they've got something I haven't got. You go to the slums in Kibera, and they show you what community is. You go to a church in um, Tanzania, and uh, they're just overwhelmed by the goodness of God. So, shall we stand? I'm going to pray. The one, the one, um, the main word, I think the one thing that God wants to, I think the thing that God might be saying to some particular people is, uh, is those who feel their, dis- their disappointment to God. If you feel like you've been a disappointment to God, it's not true. It's just not true that you can disappoint God. Why? Because we've all been dead. Dead people can't do anything. They can't prove themselves. God doesn't, can't expect anything from a dead person. He doesn't have expectations, so you can't be a disappointment. Because we all, on one level, are dead. Let me pray. Father God, I I pray, I pray that your spirit will come. That that truth that we've heard today may not simply be in our heads, but would change our hearts. 
in Jesus' name.